It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 698 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. So, how's everyone's week going so far? I mean, I have to admit, I mean, pretty early in the year, but we have so many exciting opportunities in front of us that actually we're having a hard time prioritizing what to do first. I mean, you ever run into that problem? I mean, it's a great place to be early in the year, much better that than not having anything to do, but still. Well, anyway. We have another excellent episode this week for you to help you get February off to a strong start. Joining me today is my friend Skip Miller. Skip is founder and president of M3 Learning, author of a couple of great books, first, Proactive Selling, and secondly, Selling Above and Below the Line. And I always enjoy having Skip on the show. Uh, been around for a long time, no BS, calls it like it is. And he sees firsthand through his work many of the problems that are holding back B2B sellers, and has some pretty clear-cut advice about what needs to change to enable sellers to hit their marks on a consistent basis. And Skip shares some of the findings of his work with sales teams, primarily in the tech business. Sales teams find that you know, 90-day sales forecasts have an accuracy of only 45 to 50%. Think about that. Within a 90-day window, sellers are only hitting 40 to 50% accuracy on their forecast. Uh, find sales cycles too long for the price of the product they're selling. And the average order size, well, it goes along with that. It's way too low. So it's sort of like hitting the trifecta of bad outcomes, even in these environments. You still see top performers hitting the number, but it's all about sort of brute force selling, you know, quantity over quality. And the point is not that you can't sell that way, but it's you do it at what cost over the long run? The cost to you, to your organization, to your buyers. So we're going to dive into some specific areas where sellers need to focus to create a brighter sales future for themselves and their organizations. Now, before we get to Skip, I want to take a quick second to talk about the sales house. You know, the sales accelerator community for B2B sellers. Now, as sellers, we don't have control over a lot of the things that have an impact on our jobs. You know, the products we sell, the pricing, the features, the customers we sell to, you know, our customer service, our customer success teams, all those things. However, what we can control is how we conduct ourselves in front of our buyers. I mean, all those other factors pale in importance compared to how we connect and build rapport, how we engage the interest of buyers, how we build trust, how we deliver value that inspires buyers to want to do business with us. And that's, that's our focus at the sales house, to enable you, sellers just like you, with the knowledge, skills, confidence, and acumen to become the very best version of you. So come visit us at the sales house. That's visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash trial. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash trial. I look forward to seeing you there. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Skip Miller. Skip Miller, it's great to see you again. As well, always. As always. So um, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about several things. One is we could talk about Cleveland Browns because I know you're a big fan. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about Browns. I mean, I, I was a kid. I was a fan of the Browns. They're sort of my second team. I was a Packer fan. But then, you know, the Browns had Frank Ryan, Jim Brown, Leroy Kelly. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was yeah. great teams to watch. So uh, I'm rooting for them. We, and I, we, have, we have names in Cleveland of how to lose. We have the drive, the fumble, the shot. We have names. So, <laughs> that's and, true. And, and for your listeners, they'll, they'll listen to this. There's only four teams that have never been to the Super Bowl. And try to name them. The Browns, of course, are one. And there's three others who have right. never been to the Super Bowl. All right. Carolina Panthers. That's true. No, no, Panthers were there. 
Oh, that's right. They did go. That's right. They yeah. went against the against the Patriots. Um, yeah. Oh wow! Let's waste some airtime with this one. So, Cleveland. Okay, you were close. Jacksonville. Oh, Jacksonville. Okay, that's right. And then the tight the, the uh, uh, Texans. Texans and the Titans. No, Titans no, went. 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 Titans went. They went against St. Louis. That's right. The team that nobody gets also is the Lions. The Lions have never been to the Super Bowl. Oh wow, that's right. So the Lions, the Texans, the Pan- the and the Browns and the in Jacksonville. So yeah, so we're in that nice little class there. Yeah, so I'll hold, hold my enthusiasm for the year, but we are we are excited. Okay, was well, a lifelong Packer fan. You now we sort of don't like the Lions because of that. It's always the Thanksgiving right. Day match, but I was cheering for them this last <laughs> week as they were playing the Patriots because everybody <laughs> likes to see the Patriots. Well, most. Most parts of the country like to see the Patriots yeah. lose. Like to see, you know, the franchise come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, especially you know the protege playing the master, it was it was great drama. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk about sales and the topic really for today was is one you and I have talked about in the past is and exchanged uh, correspondence about is you know how how do we really change things up in sales? Right. I mean, sales, in my opinion, sales fundamentally operates the same way it's operated for. Let's say since the 1890s, you know, an NCR sort of <laughs> revolutionized industrial selling in the United States. I mean, it seems like we're we're doing things largely the same way in terms of how we manage people, hire people, how we measure, how they do. And it seems like something should change, right? Why there's old line industries like steel manufacturing and auto manufacturing that completely revolutionized how they they produce their work product. And yet we seem to be still sort of stuck in the same way. Well, you know, welcome to Silicon Valley, right? We're the we're the home of entrepreneurship and, and innovation and stuff as well. And we've been doing this for about 20 years, Andy. So we've got hot companies that are 10, 20 million dollar startups. You know, we do work with Tableau and Google and Apple and, and so we see it all, right? Mm-hmm. And when I go to a, an account and some hot startup that's trying to go to a hundred million to a billion and stuff, and I'll say, What's your sales forecast accuracy? And, you know, if, I, if you've got a 90-day window into your accounts, of those deals that are actually, these are the ones, mm-hmm. you, know, you have 100 deals coming in. 90 days later, how many of those 100 come in? Not, you know, the, the total revenue number because things can slide in sure. and slide out. Of those 100 come in, I typically hear like 45%, 50%. And if you think about it, you get better odds in Vegas sometimes. So it's like, you know, forecast accuracy is a symptom. Right. And then, then you go, how about your sales cycle length? Mm-hmm. Well, we sell something for 20000 takes us 110 days to do it. And you're like, you, you, you're out of business if it takes 110 days to sell twenty grand. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to shorten your sales cycle length? And, and then you go, one of the worst sins in sales is you walk away from a deal thinking you left money on the table. How are you trying to increase your average order size? Right. So these things have not been in change since the 1800s. And so what can managers, what can salespeople do? Because everywhere I go, Andy, forecast accuracy is still sucky. You know, the, the average order size is still below what people think they should get. From a customer standpoint, they could have bought more and gotten a better ROI, but they just weren't presented with that option. Mm-hmm. And sales cycles are too long. I mean, they, and close rates are too low. 
It has. Yeah, it hasn't changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm sure not as many as you do, but talked to a ton of SaaS companies and founders, and and I trot the story out a lot, so people are probably tired of hearing it. But you know, a conversation with CRO of a very prominent SaaS company. And I said, well, what's, what's your growth plan for the coming year? And he says, well, you know, we've got this finely tuned machine where we can basically get infinite number of, uh, of leads coming into the top of the funnel. I'm just going to hire a bunch of SDRs and, you know, flow through. I said, but your close rate's still like, you know, one in five. He goes, yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah. I said, well, wouldn't it be cheaper, faster, more profitable to grow by increasing your close rate from one to five to you know one point two or you know one or you know, out of five or two out of five and you know and this idea of becoming more effective just had never occurred to him. Yeah. You know, it's like this whole we got whole segments of the sales profession, if you will, are sort of just like it's pure quantity. We're just gonna do quantity. And that and that's reflected in people's training programs and their marketing brochures. You know, go to any any company's sales training program. You know, you're you're a rookie. You've got to get ramped. You're going to learn features and benefits and your product and competition. You're not going to learn, you know, about your buyer. You're not going to learn questioning techniques and skill sets. You're not going to learn listening skill sets. You're there to to you know listen, kind of, sort of present, <laughs> quote, and 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 then just kind of hope, right? Right. So it's 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 almost like we 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 get in there, we do a discovery, then we create a proposal, and then we just kind of beg, you know, please, oh please, you know, please send us the order. I'll give you ten points because it's in the end of the quarter, and and it's got to stop. And there's there's companies out there that are doing it. There are companies who are are, are getting much much better at not training their salespeople to do the show up, throw up, spray, pay, you right. know, you know crop dust, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, all three of those. I love those descriptions, yes. <laughs> so there are better trends out there. there. There really are. Well, how do we make it more widespread? Because you know, I think that one of the things I see is, is especially with companies that, that sort of embrace certain industries, embrace an inside sales model, is, is there's like a little Bible they follow. And, and I find it so ironic that companies that are so dedicated to disrupting markets use these sales processes that are so rigid. And to your point, it's like when they're onboarding people and they're training people, is it's it's all about the activity. It's not about how do I make this person better at what they're doing. So I love when we get kind of new customers and I get to talk to some of their better reps. And I'll say, tell me a deal you got working. Well, I got this one deal is looking really good. How much is it worth? 50 grand. When's it coming in? End of the month. Okay. Um, you know what the size of the quote is. Mm-hmm. You know that there you got the decision maker which is typically the what we call below the line buyer not the above the line right. buyer the fiscal buyer and so let me ask you a quick question what's the size of the problem and i get dead silence it's like i go no the only reason they're doing something is they've got a goal and they've got a gap mm-hmm. so what's the goal they're working on and what's the gap you know they got to get to 40 million next year and they're only at 30 they got a 10 million revenue gap They've got a new product launch that they predicted $25 million on. Mm-hmm. They got 12 in the bank, and they're running out of time. What's the size of the problem that you're helping to solve? Not right. what's the problem you're solving, because that's kind of too below-the-line feature benefit for me. Right. And so good companies are really looking at the business case earlier in the cycle 
before they commit resources. So if a customer is not willing to sit back and say, here's our problems or here's our initiatives and here's the problems, which we call trains in the train station, Mm -hmm. here's the things we've got and they're in the train station for these reasons. Can you help make a dent on any of those trains? And having that conversation well before demos and proposals, because if not, you're going to still end up with all the, the numbers we talked about here. Yeah, well, they're, they're not a qualified prospect. Yeah, salespeople have got to do a better job of looking at the business case. And the problem is, when I ask most sales managers, what's the business acumen of your sales team? They, they roll their eyes. They're like, that's a good question. So what are you doing about it? Well, yeah, we'll start with the manager. What's your business acumen? I mean, exactly. I, <laughs> so, yeah, I love I, to coach my people, but I got to make the number this week. So I'm going to go beat the crowd. I'm going to give a whole bunch of discounts. Exactly. So yeah. I, I, I sat in a, uh, a room with modern sales pros, you know, the listserv, and they had a, a meetup with a bunch of SDR managers and SDR directors and so on in New York. This was earlier this year. And you know, sir, I sort of went from table to table because they had table discussion topics and so yeah. on. And, and so I asked you know, one of the questions. I said, okay, who at this table uses you know, discounts to bring a deal in you know, this month versus next month? You know, they also raised their hand. I said, okay, so who's, who's done an ROI on that? You know, who's, who's actually analyzed whether, you know, what the impact that discount has? Because you're going to get that deal anyway next month, right? None of them. I said, who uses spiffs, which is the same as the discount, effectively, for your bottom line? All right, Zan. Who's ever done ROI on a spiff? None of them. So we, right. just, we just march down these paths thinking that we need to do these things that really make no difference at all. Years ago, Andy, we had a company based in Virginia, and they had a head of the central, head of the east, head of the west, mm-hmm. right? So we all looked at their forecast, and the head of the west – was predicting 10 deals for the quarter. And all, all the deals had 20, 30, 40% discounts. Mm-hmm. So the president of the company, the VP of sales, made a deal with the, the director of the West. And they said, for these 10 deals, right, if they come in or not, doesn't matter. We're going to give the rep and you full quota and full comp. So if they come in or not, don't worry about it. You get full compensation and full quota credit. But Here's what we want you to do. On these 10 deals, go tell the customers, you know, this is the price. And when they ask for a discount, your answer is, you know, we used to discount. We don't do that anymore because we have new management. Um, We're not allowed to do that. Of the 10 deals, eight came in Mm -hmm. at this price. Yeah. We're looking at a 30% discount. I mean, the number was was close to, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars of earnings, not revenue, earnings that they weren't they were going to give away because that's what's needed because that's how people buy in this industry i was told so we did we did this little trick and it worked out great and it turned out guys we don't need a discount it's our paradigm yeah so one of the biggest things i find andy is busting down people's paradigms i've done three or four company turnarounds myself Mm -hmm. either or president we've always done it that way skip we tried that a couple years ago it didn't work Skip, you don't understand our business. Once you understand our business, you'll understand why we do the things we would do them. Exactly. Paradigms, you know, we have companies who have 90% forecast accuracy. And it's because the management demands it. Mm-hmm. So these expectations and paradigms 
are something that's got to change rather than it is what it is. You know, this is what Salesforce tells me it is. That's the best we can do. <laughs> well, and the thing about forecasting, and let's take that as a topic, is how many companies, maybe the companies you work with are an exception, but how many companies do you know actually provide training on how to forecast and then provide regular feedback on the accuracy of the forecast, measure people on the accuracy of their forecast? Almost none. Think about it, okay? A common term with forecasting is how much over do you have? 2x, 3x, 4x, 4.5x? Let's just take 2.5x. You're telling me that the entire sales team is focusing on 2.5x in their deal, knowing that one out of 2.5 are going to come in. That's one and a half effort productivity the salespeople are spending on something that's not going to come in. Would the culture be we have to have 2x, 3x funnel? Why you gotta bust that paradigm down? Oh, that's but that's rampant in Silicon Valley. I mean, this is you know, every rampant CEO I talk to, it's like, well, I talked to a CEO earlier this year who said, Yeah, we're we're increasing our our pipeline coverage from 5x to 7x. And I said, So what you realize you're doing is you're giving your reps incentive to put crap into the pipeline. Andy, I used to sit at my desk as a sales guy Friday at four o'clock going, yep, I called on this company. With the, I, I just sent it in because it was required that you had to have X amount in your funnel. I made stuff up. Yeah. I mean, not that that's, you know, it's kind of like a low integrity shot. But as, as a 25, six-year-old salesperson, I wasn't good. I mean, I didn't have it, but I was told to get it. I'll do something. Yeah. So you're right. Crap in the funnel. Yeah. No, I was fortunate. I never had to work in those. I worked in big companies, but we didn't ever had that. Maybe it's because of managers I work for. We never had that imperative to you know have a certain percentage coverage. You know, we either, if we if we didn't if we didn't make the number, we were gone. So they gave us the freedom to sort of hang ourselves. And I have to admit, I was I mean, I always operated with low coverage because I either fortunately or not, or I got trained well or had a great mentor. I learned how to qualify early yeah. on. And yeah. yeah, I operated thin, but I closed them. If they were qualified, they're qualified to buy what I was selling. Now, in my in my book, I have a book product of selling, and when it did well, they asked me to do a second edition. So I filled out some stuff, sent it in, and they called me back within a week. The publisher said, well, Skip, didn't you read your contract? And I said, no. And they said, well, you've agreed to change 25% of the book. I go, wow, that's like a lot. I didn't know that one. <laughs> so I had to come up with some new ideas. And the one idea I came up with was the definition of qualify and disqualify. Qualify are the things we do the questions we ask to try to keep the deal in the funnel. And disqualify would be the questions we ask, the, you know, the things we do, to try to kick a deal out of the funnel. And I think disqualify is more important than qualify. The problem is we don't like the answer. Exactly. You know, I'm breaking up with you. No, I'm really a good guy. Give me a second chance. We don't like the disqualified answer. And, and you know that when you say, listen, it's not really working, people always want what they can't have. They come back and go, oh, just kidding. Hmm? Yeah, Qualification skill sets are not really pressured in boot camps. It's hi, you got the lead, get him in a demo, send him a free trial, put him a proposal. I mean, look at all the stuff you're doing. That whole give get ratio is way out of whack. But you don't have three x funnel, you're screwed. Yeah, well, this whole idea that you can have your SDRs quote unquote qualify uh, a prospect or a buyer is, you know, not very not very wise. And I'm with you. I mean, I. Actually, we're going to be publishing some, some stuff next week about qualifications. 
is, yeah, for me, it's what I learned, which is similar to what you talked about, is that if the buyer can't quantify the outcomes they want to achieve in dollars, then they haven't made the decision to change yet. Right. doesn't mean they won't at some point, but they're not there yet. And so either you need to say, are they at a point where I can get them there? Or, yeah, I'll just continue to nurture them. And, and for purposes of forecast now, they're just not in it. And if there's nothing broke, they're not going to fix it. So if something had a break. What broke and by how much? What's the gap? You know, what are the problems that you're trying to fix and differentiate your outcomes? Because people hate the change, as you yeah. said. And, and if, they're, if they're changing, somebody's holding a gun to their head. Well, let's go find out what that is. And it's typically not the guy who's answering uh, an SDR's call saying, yes, I'd really love to see a demo of your stuff <laughs> higher up the season. It's higher up the chain, right. Oh. And that, that's their thing is you got to qualify with somebody higher. And that's why I use this metric of can you they quantify the outcomes? Because if they haven't done the work internally to say, to your point, this is the size of the problem, right? right? And this is the size of the value that we're going to get from solving the problem. They're just not there yet. And you're going to go all the way through proposal and the person's going to go, there's not enough energy to put this deal across the finish line. Well, I'll give you 30 points, but there's not enough. So it's bet, you know, it's bet, you know, this is better than nothing. Nah, nothing's better. No, nothing. Right. And so this, you know, get back to a point is, is if we have this, we sort of institutionalize this idea of, of poor qualification, low close rates. So you think about the amount of time reps spend on things that just would never close. Yeah. And we talk about paradigms that have to break. It starts with the coverage requirements. You break that down, then maybe you can start changing the paradigm. But I, you know, I don't, don't know how we break that paradigm. And this is, we're sort of doing it one company at a time. It, it starts with managers. You know, great sales managers sit back and say, in stage two, you know, or whatever, here's what we need from the customer. These are the give gets. If we don't get them, we should talk. But the, setting those standards early in a salesperson's career for the team. I, I don't see that happening at all. And we, and I do quite a bit of sales management stuff. Mm-hmm. So we teach managers, what are the expectations for the team? If I went to your team right now, besides filling the funnel, right? How, how, what are the expectations they have to qualify a deal, call higher, overcome their fears? What, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And great sales management cultures have those things. And that's why I think what's lacking is, you know, we're hiring these salespeople and training them up to follow inbound leads. And now that those are drying up, managers, and to your point, have not been trained on how to set those expectations. We have a client, Andy, that requires its salespeople to do 100 outbound calls, emails or calls a day. I went to another company and told those numbers. They go, wow, that's like a lot. I'm saying 100 is not, you know, what? So it's a cultural issue. So paradigms the managers have got to break start with themselves on what's the expectation. And it's not 5X funnel. You know, marketing's not getting us good leads. It's not that at all. It's getting your hands dirty. You got to get your hands dirty here. Salespeople have got a prospect. They got to get out there. They got to ask for referrals. They got to do all that stuff that normal good salespeople should do. Well, let me ask a question about that because, yeah, this. I mean, I agree <laughs> to, a, to a certain degree. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just wonder if one of the changes is that, yeah, at some point, I look at prospecting as sort of a, a must, a necessity, right? You're going to do it if you don't have enough good leads right. coming in. 
And who who among us have ever had enough good leads come in that we didn't have to go prospect? But it seems, yeah, for me, prospecting fundamentally is a marketing activity. Um, You know, I I mean, oftentimes you're building awareness, you're creating demand. Um, You know, ideally, ideally, in a utopian type world, that'd be great if that wasn't a sales responsibility. Uh, But can we ever get there, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing that sort of, for me, is like, gosh, we got we take some of our best talent and we put them out doing something that, you know, is really not the best use of their time. But I, I, it's a necessity. I, I agree and I disagree. I agree that, you know, if you take a class from us, you'll get a letter from us saying, thank you for taking the class. If you know anybody who could use this stuff, please. So that's a marketing thing. Mm-hmm. I got it. But if Mary, the top salesperson, just closed a $3 million deal and she knows the CFO, the CEO, and the CXO, Mary should sit back and say, guys, thank you very much. By the way, do you know anybody else that you got? Mm-hmm. Just asking for a referral is prospecting. We're not talking banging phones. Yeah, not referrals. I agree 100%. Ah, so 20 to 30% of a salesperson's pipeline, prospecting pipeline, should be self-generated. And it could be done through referrals, through networking, through LinkedIn, whatever right. it may be. And I, I agree 100% on that. I was talking just you know, cold calling type activities and so on. Um, yeah, imagine the person prospecting, what would that happen to the 234X funnel, which therefore, what would happen to forecast accuracy? Oh, yeah. goes up. Yeah, it does. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I still believe most of this is coming back to the sales manager. Managers have got to put a culture together, put metrics together. You know, here's what's expected for us. What do we need to do at stage two? What paradigms do we need to break through? If a manager does that, you'll see more of a swing to get away from where we're at right now in today's sales world. Well, let me ask you a question then. Is because this is one that that I think is is sort of a missing element is forecast accuracy. We're talking about get people out of the office more. <laughs> you you are more productive when you do that, but people really love coming to home base. Yeah. So again, again, sort of tied in with whole inside sales things. It's yeah, it's great. You know, we've got a, a inside AE. He can sell a pretty complex thing. I guarantee you, close rate would go up. Your forecast accuracy would go up if you get that person face to face with somebody. Video's great, but it's not the same. And you know, it's that. not. Yeah, it's not. And, and Zoom's a client, so I got to be careful with that. Right. <laughs> um, but the client. But the basic wonder is, guys, if a salesperson has got to make a commitment to get in the car or get in a plane and travel. That means they're required to get hard commitments from their customers, which you don't have to do by, by a Zoom meeting or an email. Right. If they didn't respond to an email, they'll respond to it tomorrow. I mean, it's kind of like, it's like kissing through a screen. I mean, it's not a commitment, <laughs> okay? Right, right. If I got to get on, if I got to get on a plane or a car and take my boss with me and the place doesn't exist or the person doesn't, isn't at work there anymore or they don't show up for the meeting, I didn't do my job. Boy, that requires a lot of work. Well, good sales does require a lot of work. So I fully agree with you. You got to spend more time outside than just in, except in the low area where you're dealing with, you know, $50 a month, $100 a month type stuff. Yeah. Transactional, obviously, you don't need to do that. But but anything with any sort of complexity to it. And, you know, I was talking to one company, and I think their lifetime contract value was like 150 or something. And, they were afraid for, and they had bigger deals, obviously, than that. That was average. And they were afraid to get on a plane. I'm like, yeah. go get on a plane. Close a deal. Yeah. I mean, this is what the customer wants. And also, you start differentiating yourself when you go do that. 
Yep. And but that sense of urgency, one more time, has got to come from the culture of the managers. Guys, when's, when do the customer need this deal? Let's go get it from them. Come on. Let's set up that meeting. Let's go. And, and once that culture starts, then the salespeople will pick up that, that, that sense of urgency. But if the manager doesn't have the sense of urgency, so let's go out and talk to customers. Trade shows, I think, are hysterical. I mean, who works a trade show? Rookies and veterans. The mm-hmm. veterans, you know, it's a great networking opportunity. Yep. The rookies have to do it because they're filling in the blanks. The B and C players don't go to trade shows because it's like, I don't want to go. It's not my thing, right? I get it. Trade shows are a lot of work. I used to run a trade show company. But, boy, there's some great networking. There's some great stuff to do. But it requires a lot of homework before you go. So that culture, again, of a manager has got to be, guys, we prospect 20, 30% of the time. We get out there and make, let's go. But without it, I'll do the lazy thing. I'll get on the phone because then I get to go home at four o'clock and play with the kids and in my basketball league or whatever it may be. Mm. I don't have to do all that rough stuff. And like you and I in our own business, you know, when I went from executive platinum to platinum on America, and I celebrated because that says I wasn't flying as much as I as, as, right. as I do, which I, I don't want to fly that much. Right. So Me too. You got to get out there, but fully agree with you. What do you think? So I'm going to flip it back to you for a second. Sure. What do you think, talking about the topic of sales has been this way for 200 years, but we got to do things differently, right? Mm-hmm. Number one, in my opinion, we got to stay closer to the buyer's journey because buyers are looking at a lot more stuff. Two, we got to go find the business case. You know, what's the size of the problem? Three, we got to bust through paradigms, mm-hmm. especially if the sales manager rank, like we've always done it this way. Well, what are some trends that you're seeing? Well, I mean, the oral history is certainly one of them, right? This oral tradition that gets passed on from generation to generation. So, you know, one of my big bugaboos is you know, I always smile when, when someone says, well, we got to go create a sense of urgency in the customer. And it's like, <laughs> well, then they're not ready to buy. I mean, it's, it's the customer, you know, if you do any sort of research or reading into, you know, buying behaviors is that when people embark on a buying behavior, they want to quickly gather information to be able to make a good decision with the least investment of their time and energy possible. Yep. So once they're on a path, there's, yeah, there's, I believe there's two steps in a, a decision. This is, you know, something I experienced myself and then I saw some research that sort of validated is, is the first decision step is a go, no go decision, right? Are we going to do this change or not? And then the second order is who are we going to do it with? Right. But salespeople just blow right past that first one. <laughs> and, you know, if the customer hasn't made that decision, there is no urgency. And you can work as hard as you want to try to create a sense of urgency. It's not well, just not there. Think, think of Bob and Mary. Bob is the below-the-line user buyer. Mary is the fiscal buyer. Right. Bob, seeing a new fancy toy on the web, says, yes, I'm in charge of this. You know, I don't like what we have. We have to get rid of our old way of doing things. You know, Mary doesn't know it's a problem. Mary's not funding this yet. There's no budget for it. Mary's got a whole bunch of other problems she's got to fund. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you go up to Mary early and go, hey, Mary, Bob's knocking at my door, who's a great guy, but what's the problem you're trying to solve if you make this change? And Mary's going to go, I-, I didn't know we were sick. I didn't right. know we had a problem. There's no sense of urgency. Urgency in our world is typically always above the line. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get above the line early going, what's the size of the problem? What's causing you to make this change? Bob's going to run you around for more free trials and more extension to free trials and, and more proposals than you'll ever care to. Exactly. And this is where I think that that's the loop 
the poor qualification, I think, is the single biggest point of failure for most sales reps is, and we talked about it earlier with qualification, is if you can't quantify the pain point, the problem they're trying to solve, or quantify, in my case, I talk about is quantify the value they're going to receive, yeah. then like I said, they just haven't reached that point yet. You haven't gotten them to that point, or they're just not ready to be at that point, whatever. Stop spending your time on it. Stop giving that extra demo. To the point, you know, um, I, I, I've got a big, uh, you know, golf tournament coming up, and I don't want to, you know, shoot, um, you know, over a hundred. Oh, there's a, there's some energy to go buy some new golf clubs. You know, where do you look at some new golf clubs? I read a magazine that these are the coolest, newest, greatest clubs. There's no energy. There's no energy, right? right. Why do you want to buy a car? My lease is up on Friday. I guess there's some energy there. Mm-hmm. But I was just looking at your new models. I mean. You got to find out that, as you said, sense of urgency to make a change, not a sense of urgency to buy my stuff. That's down the line. What's the sense of urgency to make a change? Yeah, and and yeah, I think you and I look at the the urgency maybe a different, a little different perspective. Mine is always what I found, and work work for me is that they've got sense of urgency to achieve an outcome. Right. right. I want to increase market share. I want to increase sales. I want to increase productivity. I want to lower costs. Whatever that that metric is, and they say if I do that. Or the next 18 months, this is what's going to accrue to earnings. This is what we're going to get on top line growth, whatever. If they've got that number. Right. Your goal. And, and if they've got those goals and they're meeting those goals, they're not going to change what they're doing. So the buy window right now is not open. Right. When those trains leave the station, because you know as well as I do, three, six months from now, new trains will come in and you'll have some gaps. Exactly. Yeah. And but we're, not training, we're not training our managers to coach that way. We're definitely not training our, our salespeople to ask questions and, to your point, qualify that way. Yeah. All right. We could go on forever. <laughs> it's a great topic. Yeah, and we've we've already gone half an hour, and we've touched like 5% of what I was going to talk about. But I knew that was going to be the case. So we'll definitely have to do this again. So, uh, Skip, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Um, Skip at M3, the number three, m3learning.com or the website is is m3learning.com um amazon's got all my books and sales and sales management and um happy to talk to anybody or you know kind of go from there perfect all right skip thanks great as always all right thanks man okay friends that was accelerate for the week first of all as always i want to thank you for joining me and i want to thank my guest skip miller we'll make sure to have skip back again uh, join me again next week as I welcome Daryl Prale to the show. Daryl is the CMO of Vanilla Soft, and we're going to have a really interesting conversation about sales and marketing alignment. Daryl has some pretty unique perspectives on how to enable sales and marketing to work together to achieve that common revenue goal. So be sure to join us then for that. And before you go, don't forget to check out the Sales House, the all-in-one sales learning, coaching, mentoring, and growth accelerator for B2B sellers. Visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash trial to join today. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.